You're listening to Joy Coaching America with the Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant, spreading upbeat, uplifting, informative messages of hope and happiness from sea to shining sea from our home in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. Welcome to Joy Coaching America with Karen Lynn Grant. I am very, very, very thankful today to introduce our next guest, and this is Sean Oldroyd. And Sean, I am so grateful that you're here as all of us have listened to the news during this season of coronavirus and all the things that are happening around the world. We know that there has been an increase of depression. There's been an increase of suicide. There's been an increase of alcohol and drug addiction. There's been an increase of domestic violence. And these are very important subjects. And you may be wondering, why would I discuss this on a program that's talking about love, joy, and peace? Well, this came very close to home for our family when a very precious person in my circle of family members had a very uh, hard and sad experience. As he would listen to the news, he became more discouraged and more depressed, and he had had an alcohol addiction. But this began to be more rampant, and it went from, you know, intaking beer nightly to taking harder stuff and moving into uh, nightly bouts with vodka, and, and it was primarily an alcohol addiction. And he had suffered with that since he was a young man, age 15. And as I watched this happen to him, I became more concerned. I was wondering, what can I do? What can I do to help this person that I love so much? And I don't have the training for that. And there is very special. And I don't have the experience. As a child growing up, I had never even tasted alcohol, never smoked a cigarette, and never had any desire to. But I knew that in my family, there had been generational alcoholism. And I knew that perhaps this uh, person that was suffering might have some generational issues. So as I was, oh, I'll call it divine intervention, when I found Sean. And Sean introduced me to a whole program that can help all of us to find resources to help hurting children, hurting spouses, hurting friends, hurting neighbors who are suffering from the disease called alcoholism. So Sean, I am so grateful that you are here today. And I am so grateful that you are willing to share your story with all of us because you are a very compassionate, empathetic person. And I am just grateful for what you are doing for our family. And I would like to just ask you to to tell us about yourself. Tell us about your journey. What made you uh, get into this industry of helping others? And just I know that you know exactly what to say and you'll take it away there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate you um, having us here. Um, you know, this is kind of a a, a very, very familiar um, road for me personally and professionally. So um, kind of, you know, get into um, how I got into this industry. So um, I am in recovery um, uh, on May 13th, uh, 2013. Uh, I had made a decision to 
um, you know, change my life. Um, you know, there was uh, about 10 years of just destruction um, and chaos that um, I was not only creating for myself, but for my family and those around me. Um, and so, you know, very similar to you and what you talked about, you know, my family um, comes, you know, I was born and raised in Utah. Um, and my family, you know, my parents have never smoked, drank, um, it, you know, in my immediate family, it wasn't, you know, alcoholism and, you know, addiction and mental health wasn't really talked about. Um, and, and nor did I see it, you know, because of my family and um, what I was exposed to. Um, but my lifestyle is kind of what um, created a lot, of, a lot of this. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit later about genetics and the components and the factors that those play into substance abuse and, and mental health as well, uh, which I was very, um, it was just not a thing. Like I wasn't aware of it. No, there was no education around it at the time. And, um, and so, you know, and my parents, you know, very similar. They didn't know what to do, you know who do we talk to? You know, we really love our child and we don't know what to do. And, you know, they had seen this for years and years and years of, and, and, and trying to, you know, push, you know, religion and other things, what they knew and, and what they thought would be beneficial. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they didn't understand the disease of addiction or, you know, what takes place in, in from a neural standpoint and also a genetic standpoint. So, um, you know, my dad did have a friend. He went to BYU and um, had reached out to a friend that he uh, went to um, college with who he knew was in the substance abuse industry and um, asked him, hey, you know, what what can we do? You know, obviously, uh, you know, the, the judge couldn't help me. Um, you know, my religion couldn't help me. Um, there was just, you know, there was a lot of um, things that I had experienced in my life that was opportunities. Um, to kind of redirect and, and, and change the course of my life. But, you know, I was just so, you know, the disease was just so strong. And, you know, all I could think about is, you know, how do I get my next fix? How do I get well? Because it came, it was fun, right? When I started, it was fun. Um, and it, it just spiraled out of control. But, you know, as kind of, later discovery, you know, I have a, um, a genetically, you know, alcoholism runs in my family, um, through generations, very similar to you. Um, and so, and, and even then it just wasn't talked about, you know, a lot of times it was, you know, just hush, hush, let's push it under the rug. Let's not talk about this. Um, and, you know, and it wasn't benefiting anybody. Uh, my family wasn't getting the help they needed. I wasn't getting the help I needed. And for a lot of years, I didn't want any help. You know, I, there was some level of comfort and peace because substances took care of what I needed in that moment. And mm -hmm. over time it became, um, to cover up some, some things that I'd experienced in my life. Um, and so that was really, uh, what the underlying stuff was. It was, it, it started at fun and then things had happened and, um, really turned into more just self-medicating uh for for a number of years and uh, you know i and it just got worse and worse and worse i mean you know alcohol and then you know uh, a lot of marijuana in between there but you know and then it turned into 
you know, opiates and heroin and, and just a lot of very self-destructing substances out there. Um, and so, yeah, it was, and so my dad reached out and, um, you know, he asked, what do we do? And, and he is working for a program and they asked me, or he asked me to call this gentleman. Um, and I, and I did, uh, I did reach out to him because there was a part of me that wanted to get help uh, at that time. You know, I'd been through years and years of this and drag, dragging people through the mud. You know, I was, I was a ball and chain. I just sank everybody around me and I was tired of it and I wanted something different, but I didn't know what to do and how to do that. I didn't know what that looked like for me. I, it was just, you know, waking up was kind of like, you know, I was not a suicidal person, um, but I was very homicidal and I didn't really care if I woke up, you know, I figured, you know, if I didn't wake up, this would, um, excuse me, and everything, the nightmare for everybody, including myself. And so, you know, and that's just a really sad place to be and really, um, and nobody should live like that, you know? And, um, of course, you know, I made some choices that enabled that and, and, and put me, led me down that road. Um, but through my journey, you know, I've discovered, um, there are a lot of factors and a lot of components that go into being, a, a, a getting well, um, not just being abstinent from substances. You know, I was not a very nice person. Um, people did not like to be around me, um, whether I was using or not. Um, it, you know, I had just, again, my environment. So, yeah. You know, I am so grateful for your willingness to share that piece of your life with us because whether we're a parent, a sister, a daughter, a brother, a friend, we don't know what to do if we haven't experienced that road and we can feel empathy and we can feel compassion and we can want to help and we can feel helpless and we can turn into enablers. And I know for me, you could call me queen enabler. And I am so grateful that God put you in my path because I know it was divine intervention. We're talking with Sean Oldroyd from Corner Canyon Recovery, and we'll be right back after this station break. But before we go, Sean, I want to just also talk to you about, in a nutshell, for a minute, tell us what caused you to all of a sudden decide that you want to be part of the solution for other people. And then we will pick that up in our next segment. Yeah. So there's a, you know, a, a, a story that, you know, I can touch briefly on in, in the next segment. Um, but it, it happened um, while I was in treatment when I went to residential. Um, and it was, it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, all these things I had became and I thought I was, I was not. And, you know, discovered I was, I wanted to help people. And, you know, we can talk a little bit about the, um, what took place. Well, I'm excited to hear about that because nobody can do the work of an assistant to those who are hurting and struggling like someone who's been broken in the wheels of living. So thank you, Sean. We'll be right back after this break.
from sea to shining sea and beyond. You're listening to Joy Coaching America Worldwide with show host and Joy Coach, Karen Lynn Grant. You're listening to Joy Coaching America with Karen Lynn Grant, and we are back to this amazing interview with Sean Oldroyd, who works with Corner Canyon Recovery. We're discussing the plight of those who find themselves struggling with alcohol addiction and the underlying causes, which could be trauma, could be childhood wounds, could be a number of things that then once starts out as fun, turns into self-medicating. And Sean, you were just about to share how while you were in recovery, you found that you had a desire to help other people through recovery. So let's start there. Yeah. Um, so when I had went to residential treatment, um, it was probably about three weeks in once I had detoxed and I, I started to really think clearly, um, or, you know, at the start of the process, I started to kind of see things, um, and, and, and also the people around me just really helped me to, um, get away from some of those thoughts and those belief systems that I had created and these narratives I had created about myself for so many years because of my behaviors and the things that I was doing, you know, I didn't view myself as a good person. Um, and so this, you know, while I was there, you know, I, I knew a guy that, um, kind of through friends that was actually the program director and just a, an amazing person, um, and saw things in me that I didn't see in myself and, and not that, not just him, but their staff and just the way their programs ran. Uh, and it really, um, inspired me to, to want to help people, um, because I had been through a lot, you know, I don't consider myself worse off than anybody. Um, but I do consider myself having experienced some things that could help people. Um, and so while I was in treatment, you know, my mom, um, I was, you know, I was raised in the LDS church. Uh, I had, uh, had got a patriarchal blessing um, and, you know, serving a mission and those types of things were, you know, what my family had hoped for. Um, and, you know, the day I was getting my patriarchal blessing, I thought it was a great idea to go get a tattoo first, you know, like, hey, I'm going to go get a tattoo. And you know, and I'll go have this patriarchal blessing, you know, that's just how in tune I was to my world, you know, it just made perfect sense. Right. And, uh, and so I, and so what I had had that done and, you know, you fast forward, you know, uh, 12 years, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in a treatment center and my mom had sent me my patriarchal blessing. And back when I got it, you know, um, I didn't really remember much, uh, I got the paper. My mom gave it to me. Um, I, I probably lost it along the way, but she had found it and kept it and sent it to me. And, you know, I decided to read it. You know, I don't have anything against the LDS church. You know, there's, there's no, um, I just didn't agree or just my lifestyle didn't support that at the time. So, mm -hmm. um, I got a, so she sent it to me and when I, I read it and it talks about, so, and, and I, and it brought back a lot of memories. <clears throat> so as a young age, you know, you know, when I had that, it, it talked about serving others. Right. And so, and I viewed it as serving a mission. So again, there was just another component that, um, I, I thought I had failed, you know, I was a failure and it just solidified that. And so I kind of just said, you know, this is no good. There's nothing again, 
uh, there's nothing true to this because I didn't serve a mission, right? And that's when I, you know, uh, that's how I viewed it. And, and, and when I was in treatment, I had read it again. And, and it was about that time where I was really having this desire, like, I really would love to help people. And so as I read it, that just kind of came to me like, wow, like maybe this is what they were talking about. You know, maybe this is one of those moments. And it really just solidified because it talked about serving others and service. And, you know, and, and again, things had shifted, you know, you fast forward 12 years and, and obviously the mission was out of the picture, you know, there was nothing, mm -hmm. but again, I viewed it as, it was just one of those moments that I was like, wow. Um, That's a beautiful aha moment when mm -hmm. you realize that you can serve from a place of your experience, right. like nobody else. You can have a reach into people's lives like no one else without that experience, compassion, empathy, and understanding right. and wisdom yeah. can have. Yeah. And so, you know, shortly after that, I had made that decision and I really dug deep and I, and I did the work and I really took the advice because my way wasn't working clearly, you know, it, it landed me in institutions and, um, you know, uh, in, the, in front of a judge and, 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 you know, and not only that, you know, the, the part that people don't understand, like the real, the real um, consequence or result of substance abuse or, you know, just and not getting help is the, the, the destruction it causes within yourself, but also with those around you, my family, you know, they, they struggled um, to watch somebody that had become something that they didn't know, you know, it was just not a part of me. And, and that's just shows you the power of what substances can do. And, but again, you know, the real consequences, you know, I didn't get to see my family, you know, I'd had kids through this and I didn't get to see them, you know, and I was using uh, the whole time. And, you know, when I, the only moments of clarity with my daughter through her first full year was I remember sitting behind a, a TV screen, um, you know, and, and incarcerated and, and watching her take her first steps, you know, hmm. because before that, you know, I was using, I didn't remember anything, you know, I didn't remember how to, you know, change a diaper or interact with her. And, and so my earliest memories of her was watching her because I was incarcerated. I had a clear mind. I was not taking substances and, you know, and that's the real, um, result of this that that i think sometimes doesn't get talked about more so it's you know if you do this you go to jail you do this you die i mean yes that is a result but i, I think ultimately deep down there's um those things that you're really missing out on in life and, and experiences um and, and as tough as it is you know i it, it's my story it's my journey and 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 i can't change it but what i can do is you know i've had a son in, in sobriety and 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 learning how to change a diaper, you know, having two kids already. I didn't know how to do that. You know, you'd think, wow, you know, this should be easy for you. But, you know, so it's those types of things. But, you know, going back to just getting into the industry, you know, shortly after I had left treatment, um, I had got a call from the treatment center and said, hey, do you want to take over or, you know, come to work for us? I was like, absolutely. Do you know who I am? Like, I'm, I'm an addict. Like I still, I used to, you know, I have this long history and they're, you know, but again, they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, which brought me into the industry. So I spent years 
uh, with this program and uh, was able to really learn some some really important things and kind of just more the ins and outs of the industry and um, from a professional standpoint, but then also I could also utilize my personal experience to try to help those who struggled. Um, and then, you know, fast forward about five years uh, working in the industry, uh, I got a phone call and, um, you know, uh, from a, a good friend of mine and said, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about starting up this treatment center what do you think, you know, what do you, um, you know, would you be interested? And so I said, well, you know, let me come. Yeah, I'll come interview. And, uh, and so, and we're going to hear from Cheryl Kell, who's the owner of Corner Canyon Recovery and kind of how, um, what prompted her to start a facility like this, because it's completely non-traditional, but there's so many components that is part of the program that really enticed me and, 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 you know, motivated me to, to, to come over and help start this program. You know, my experience was being a program director and doing the programming, but there was all these other components that I was like, wow, this is foreign to me, you know, and she'll kind of get into, you know, we'll get into some of that. I know we have some more segments we'll be doing and, and you'll be able to hear from our clinical director and our medical director as well about some of those modalities and things we do. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate and blessed to have crossed paths with Cheryl Kell. She's been amazing. She's given me so many opportunities to become a better version of myself, but also work at a high level in the industry and, um, you know, just give clients and families these, these resources and um, the support they both need. It's not only the family or the client, the family needs some support as well. And so again, these are things that we do at Corner Canyon that are, um, very, very vital to the recovery process. And, you know, I've just been very, very blessed to be able to be in a position to do this 10 years ago. You know, this was not a thing for me. I'm really excited about your story, where you've been, where you've come from, what you have to bring, what you have to offer, and how important that is to me and to my family. I'm so grateful for you. We will be right back, Sean, with more about Corner Canyon Recovery in Draper, Utah. Thank you. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. Today, we're focusing on alcohol addiction and the trauma resulting prior to or the aftermath or even during. So we are now interviewing Cheryl Kale, who is one of the owners of Corner Canyon Recovery and Draper, which is marketed nationally. So for those of you who are listening outside of the state of Utah, you if you have someone who you are concerned about, please give Sean and Cheryl a call. We'll be giving their numbers to you, their website to you at the end of the show. So Cheryl, 
I just thank you so much for being here today and, and would love to hear what inspired you, what motivated you, and what gave you a passion to pursue helping the lives of those who struggle with addiction as well as their family, because certainly this has a ripple effect and we're all, we're all concerned. We all know someone who knows someone and we all are here to learn from you today. Thank you, Karen. And I think you're, you're right. You know, the, the current situation that we're in with the pandemic is leading to an intensification of depression, anxiety, substance abuse, as people try to cope with this increasing stress that they're experiencing. Um, my, um, my personal uh, history with addiction mental health is what motivated me to um, get into the adult treatment world. My, my background is in uh, treatment. I'm a social worker and um, I've done therapy for many years with adolescents and their families. And, um, you know, I, when I got out of college, I, I, for, for five years, I worked for an outdoor treatment program doing therapy and eventually administration as well. And, um, as I, you know, was doing this, I, I kept finding things that where I thought that, uh, the treatment we were providing could be improved in several areas, but the company I worked for was owned by a corporation and, I had very limited ability to make any improvements that I could see. And um, so after five years, we, we myself and, an, and an, another therapist split off and we started a competing program where we were able to make those kind of improvements. And um, I found that interesting and um, exciting. And fast forward, you know, 15 years later, and um, I'm having my own personal struggles with some of these things. I um, uh, I began drinking in my 30s, um, you know, as partly social, but really quickly it turned into managing my um, anxiety, you know, my stress level, um, a glass of wine at night, you know, intensified my sleeping aid and enabled me to get a few hours of sleep. Um, you know, and of course, I didn't realize, even though I was providing treatment, I didn't realize what was it, what I was experiencing personally. I was just trying to cope with the, you know, amount of stress I felt from owning and running a treatment program as well as doing therapy. You know, juggling a lot of balls, and um, and I, you know, I had no idea about my own genetic background. Um, you know, having grown up in an environment where, um, you know, there people just didn't indulge in addictions, so I didn't see that um, crossover. Um, so my addiction began to take take over more and more in terms of you know my trying to manage my anxiety turned into a problem and um it was complicated by some genetic factors that i have that i had no idea about you know including a gene variant that predisposes someone to anxiety depression nerve pain muscle pain mm -hmm. uh, insomnia you know all the things that i was dealing with without having awareness of that and um, so at that point, I, I embarked on a, I don't know, it seems like a long journey. I can't remember the exact time frame to deal with all of the implications of that genetic variables, the genetic variables that I had and the addiction that was developing. And um, it took me a long time to get that all sorted out, you know, and on the right medications and none of it, I've never had any pain pills, but uh, correcting the neurotransmitters that were, you know, my genetic inheritance <clears throat> took time to get all that figured out. 
So um, I did eventually wind up in treatment myself and um, had sort of varied experiences. You know, I had a 30-day experience uh, at a program that treated both addiction and chronic pain. And, um, you know, 30 days just was not long enough to accomplish very much. And, um, and, I, and even as I'm having that experience, there's a part of my mind that provides treatment where I'm thinking, this just isn't everything that I need. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, this isn't really working for me and what else is out there. And, um, you know, I cycled through a few more like outpatient treatment settings and um, was still struggling with all of that. Uh, then I did a longer term inpatient uh, treatment setting, 60 days inpatient and then 30 days um, day treatment and was able through the help of a really great psychiatrist was able to get on the medications that sort of finished dialing in that uh, process for me of managing all the different things that I was experiencing. And um, while I was in that treatment setting, I um, again had that same experience like, gosh, I, there's so much more they could be doing here, you know, to help people. So many more variables to look at. And um, while I was in that treatment setting, I, you know, in the middle of the night one night it was um i just had essentially a very spiritual experience like this is what i'm supposed to do next you know is wow take everything that i've experienced and apply it to helping other people that is that is huge cheryl that is huge so anyway as soon as i got out of treatment actually in treatment i started making lists of everything that i needed to do to you know make this happen and as we went about the process of starting corner canyon um you know, I've always been very open to sort of innovation and, um, you know, I drove a Tesla as soon as they came out and um, <laughs> we do, uh, we do genetic testing for addiction at Corner Canyon and, you know, my, the, the genetic testing identifies what you're predisposed to use as well as the behaviors that can go with that. And, um, you know, some significant ones I got were novelty seeking and, um, impulsivity wow. and um those are things that actually played in my favor i think i'm always looking for new things that seem to make a difference and um so i uh <clears throat> you know as we went through this process i was open to finding you know new things that might help out and we do two kinds of dna testing we do brain technology we do um you know a whole battery of testing psychological psychiatric you know I want people to be able to figure out in a you know, 60 to 90 day stay what took me 10 years to figure out. You know, I want to find out what all the variables are that are influencing them and help them get do an immediate course correction and then stabilize so that they're well prepared to launch into a happier, healthier, healthier life when they finish treatment. So that was really the inception of Corner Cane Recovery, and it's just been a process of dialing it in since then. Um, Sean was a great find for us, and um, it's been a thrill to watch him evolve and take his native abilities and skills and develop them into um, a person who is so capable at helping people and getting them in, you know, enrolled in this kind of a growth process and um, we've seen that with other employees as well and um, I feel like Corner Canyon now sort of has a life of its own and I don't have to exert you know a lot of um, direction I can just sit back and support my great people you know and that's that's always been my treatment model. 
hire great people and let them do their jobs. I've been very impressed with the the feel of your place. I I had an experience with a with another uh, recovery program here in Utah. Was able to quickly make a switch and see that the follow through of having my loved one brought to you. I hear your story and I think about how I've heard a quote by Alfred Tennyson that says, there's not an angel on the other side of the veil that can bless as many lives as one mortal who has experienced the the very things that you have talked about today and how amazing it is to me to hear that story, to hear your story, to hear Sean's story, and to realize that that the innate qualities, the gifts that you have, have been accentuated by the experiences for you to wake up in the night knowing it could be better at, because now you had experienced not good enough, not good enough now became something better. And I appreciate what you said that your 10 year, 10 year journey can be capitalized for others so that it's like learning the long division of something and then learning short division. And, and some of us are required to go through the long division so that we can learn the short division and then teach people who maybe don't have that gift to create what you've created, what Sean is, is assisting and creating for those who, who need the recovery and how wonderful that, that you go and you teach to go back, to get out there and to serve and to bless. And I'm really excited about that. So thank you so much for this segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America, raising the world's vibration to love, joy, and peace, one happy listener at a time. Welcome back to Joy Coaching America. This is Karen Lynn Grant, and this is a poignant subject today. I am so grateful for all of you who are listening, who have empathy for the subject we are talking about and discussing. In our last segment, we met Cheryl Kale, who is one of the owners of Corner Canyon Recovery in Draper, Utah. This is a nationally recognized program. They market nationally, and we will be giving you their number, their website address at the end of this segment. But Cheryl, you have just shared your powerful story. Sean has shared his powerful story. There is no one who can assist and help like those who have experienced what they are passionate about. And now we're going to talk about what makes your program different than other programs here in Utah and how this has come together for you, how you have felt inspired, impressed uh, to go about adding the pieces to the puzzle that make your program so powerful for those who are in your care. So Cheryl, here you go. I want to hear from you. Well, you know, I think that um, when I think of treatment and recovery, you know, my go-to is sort of the addiction part, you know, I mean, and, you know, a lot of that is traditional AA, NA, um, 12-step, 
all of which is really valuable, but substance abuse addiction is generally strongly influenced by mental health concerns or vice versa, and then they become very intertwined. And um, so in my mind, treating addiction has to be supported by um, or even led by treating the mental health components. And um, so understanding all of those variables requires you to look at, you know, multiple factors that can influence someone, you know, uh, physical or medical, psychiatric, um, family systems, um, you know, I mean, there's just so many pieces, I'm, I'm just touching on them, but um, some of the assessments that we've developed, you know, really lay the groundwork for intervention uh, in those areas. You know, the, 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 we do pharmacogenetic DNA testing, which determines uh, which medications uh, work for a person, which ones don't, and which ones could give negative side effects. Um, that way we don't waste a lot of time trying to figure out what's going to work and maybe having someone have a negative response to a medication, which then psychologically sets them against wanting to take medications, which can be very helpful. Um, we do the DNA testing for addiction, and that's helpful, you know, in many respects. And some of the sort of maybe more social elements of that are that it helps um, a client or a family that's in denial. You know, if you can simply say, look, here is, you know, where this came from. It's not like a moral failing, you know. Um, so it helps with the stigma that can go with addiction. Uh, it helps give direction about, you know, treatment. Um, it, it's, so those are the kinds of things that we want to do right away to, to get started on a, a, you know, a good path. We also use a brain technology um, that can completely assess the brain from multiple, multiple um, areas. And, you know, it can identify um, physical problems. It can identify learning disabilities. Um, you know, I, uh, we had a, um, an interventionist come and tour the program and he happened to be there while we were doing the brain technology and they hooked him up and um, his back uh, lit up like a Christmas tree and he started to laugh and he pulled out his iPad and showed us his last MRI and hmm. um, it was lit up in the exact same areas. Wow. I've also had my, I've, my two oldest grandsons have learning disabilities and um, it was fascinating, you know, on their scans. One of them came up with a, a significant negative number in Broadman's area 37 and I had no idea what that was. So I Googled it and uh, it's dyslexia, which of course he had. And um, so there's, there's this whole assessment piece and then, um, then there's intervention. Um, the intervention can help correct these problems. You know, my, my oldest grandson now is out of resource classes and he's been on the honor roll for the last year in high school. And, you know, seeing those kind of results um, have been, you know, just really validating to me. And then my own personal experiences of being able to reduce some of my medications and um, feel better, you know, pretty significant responses that have sort of sold me on something that I was very skeptical about in the beginning. Um, we recently began offering the SGB shot. Uh, SGB stands for stellate ganglion block, and it's a long-acting long anesthetic that um, the VA has uh, administered to veterans with chronic upper body pain for years. They began noticing that um, the veterans' uh, PTSD symptoms started to drop wow. significantly right away without 
other interventions like therapy or and um, over time they decided to do a study and what they uh, found in the study supported what they had observed which is that PTSD symptoms like um, you know anxiety depression muscle tension chronic pain um, you know the fight-or-flight intensive intensified response um, nightmares uh, flashbacks all those things just began to lift very quickly. And um, so we began offering that to our clients who have uh, PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, not only does it help them feel better quickly, but it gives them better access to our treatment. You know, we're very focused on uh, trauma treatment and um, these people feel better right away. And then they can do deeper work more quickly, which, you know, increases the value of the time that they're spending with us. Um, One of the ways I, I can see that this would be beneficial for a family is that it rules out judgment. Once you start understanding, the family starts understanding how these puzzle pieces are fitting together in somebody else's life, taking <clears throat> into account the the mental pieces, the gene, the genealogies, the all of those pieces, the emotional pieces, the reaction to trauma, uh, how how three different children can react to a divorce differently than a fourth child and how that can be more traumatic for one child and have them have a stronger reaction to that at, in childhood. And understanding these early childhood pieces are so important for families. So I think this is amazing. Do Is this unique to you? Is this unique to your program here? You know, we've been compared to, in terms of our assessment, we've been compared to places like Menninger, <clears throat> which, um, you know, I mean, they, well, I don't want to get into that, but um, so I would say that in terms of assessment, we are, you know, we're fairly cutting edge, I would say, and continually looking to improve, you know, what we can do. Um, but an assessment is great even in and of itself, but really unless it's grounded in a very well-run, comprehensive, kind, caring program, it's not going to make the kind of difference that it can, you know, if you have all those components. So I get excited in talking about all the innovative things that we do, but, you know, really the bedrock for all of that being effective is, is the great program that we have too. And um, that is unique to every program, the feel when you walk in that building, the people that you talk to, you can tell whether they like each other or not. You can tell if they like the clients. You know, I love it when I walk in there at lunchtime and the therapists and the staff are hanging out, eating with the clients and just chatting. It's like there's not this these layers of, you know, I'm, I have a different role than you do. And, you know, it's just this, it feels like a family, really. And um, so, you know, I mean, we've made decisions that have kept it that way. You know, we, we won't take any more than 16 clients, and we usually have more like 14. Um, you know, the people that we hire have to have that combination of love and empathy and boundaries and support and um, clinical sophistication. We do ongoing training constantly to keep our people's skills high and to expose them to new experiences. Um, our EMDR qualified therapists um, are getting brain spotting training now and implementing that with what they're doing. And um, we have them doing their own personal therapy work, you know, uh, personal growth workshops. Um, You've got equine. Yes, we equine. have. Oh, oh yeah, I love we that. Have, we have all those additional modalities, equine therapy, art therapy, music therapy, um, uh, yoga, 
oh yeah, yoga. Our our chef, our wonderful chef, runs a um, a uh, a cooking class and teaches about nutrition and how to prepare healthy food. I oh, love that's, that. That's Life another, skills, right? Yeah. That's another thing we do is a big focus on the, the gut-brain connection and um, all the implications for mental health that they're discovering, you know, in terms of um, the stomach biome and its effect on anxiety, depression, serotonin, dopamine. Um, it's all very interrelated and you have to correct all those pieces at once. So, I love your program. I love that you bring nutrition into that and the serotonin levels and the dopamine, the chemistries of the brain, the, the relation that food and nutrition has to that. I think that's so often overlooked and it's so important. Um, I would love for you to give out your website address, your phone number. Uh, maybe Sean can give his phone number as well so that if you have questions out there and you're listening to this program today, that you would be able to to check in, to call, to ask questions uh, for your loved one or for yourselves. Is that something you can provide us with now? You bet. Our website address is www.cornercanyonrecovery.com. And our uh, phone number is 877-717-6237. And um, uh, you can also find us, you know, just by Googling, uh, you know, variations of our name and um you can also read our reviews you know online they'll give you more information and um uh you can email us you know info at corner canyon recovery there's just a lot of ways you can get in touch with us all right thank you in closing today cheryl what would you say to a parent to a sister brother father mother someone who's who's noticing or maybe in denial what hope can you give for those of us who are listening right now in about 20 seconds just a piece of advice well i would say quit beating yourself up you know um people's experience is what their experience is and um the bottom line is getting to the bottom of it and uh figuring out what to do next um, reach out for help. You know, this isn't a struggle that you have to go through yourselves. Thank you so much. This is Cheryl Kale from Corner Canyon Recovery. We're so grateful for you and Sean today. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with part two.